Section 9 of The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 9. Hammond's Story. The effect of this statement can hardly be exaggerated. It shook the very foundation of the case against the prisoner. If Gaspar's identification could be disproved, it seemed almost sure that Jones was saved. Even though it could be shown beyond a doubt that Corbett had been murdered in a flat which was rented by Jones, that would not prove that Jones had done it. The murderer was evidently the man who had ridden in the cab with Corbett. And Harrigan, the only witness, had failed to recognize Jones as that man. The suspicion must instantly arise that a plot had been carefully laid, with the purpose of putting the crime upon Jones. Some enemy had signed his name on the register, and the same cruel wretch had decoyed Corbett to the vacant flat and murdered him there. It was easy to suppose that the criminal knew the flat to be empty and had obtained a key. It might have been, by the secret enemy's connivance, that the trunks were removed and sent to Gaspar. But if Hammond was the wretch who had done all this, why had he confessed? All these and many other thoughts must have rushed through the mind of the superintendent in the pause which followed Hammond's declaration. Burns looked at Nick for an explanation. This is an extraordinary statement, Mr. Hammond, said Nick. "'Have you any evidence to support it?' "'I have ample evidence. "'I was seen in the company of the woman now dead, "'not fifty yards from the restaurant on the night when she met her death. "'I can call one of the most prominent and respected men in the city to prove that. "'The Reverend Elliot Sanford is the man.' "'This name produced a great impression. "'Why has he kept silent?' asked Nick. He promised me that he would do so as long as his conscience would permit. I called upon him on the morning after the crime. He believed me when I asserted my innocence. He agreed to be silent for the sake of my family. "'But who is the dead woman?' asked Nick. "'I have not the least idea.' "'You did not know her?' "'No. Let me tell the full story. It was a chance acquaintance.' I met her on the street that afternoon. I was walking behind her on 23rd Street. You know what wonderful hair she had. I was admiring it. Suddenly I saw her drop a little purse. I picked it up and handed it to her, and somehow we fell into conversation. Her manner mystified me. Sometimes she seemed to be laboring under some secret grief, which nearly drove her to tears. In another moment she would be apparently as merry as a schoolgirl. She showed no reserve whatever, but something in her manner warned me that she was a lady, and I did not presume upon her confidence. We walked together a long while, and at last we found ourselves near that restaurant. How we came there I do not know. I paid no attention to where we were going. I was too much fascinated by my companion. Suddenly she said, it is late, and I am hungry. Let us go to dinner. I thought it a strange thing to say, but I was glad enough to comply. 
We went into that restaurant because it was right before us. I signed the first name that came into my head, and then Corbett showed us into the private dining room. I ordered a dinner, but before it was served, I began to be a good deal surprised at my companion's behavior. She paced up and down the room, and every now and then she listened at the door which was between us and room A. "'I have all a woman's curiosity,' she said. "'I'd like to hear what those people are saying over their dinner.' I tried to make her sit down, and playfully took hold of her. Then I made a discovery which frightened me. The woman had a pistol in her pocket. Suddenly she turned upon me and exclaimed, "'What shall we do after dinner?' I'll tell you what I'd like. I want to go to the theater. Let's see something real funny. Yes, I must go. You run out now and get the tickets. There's a place just down the street where they're sold. You can get back before your dinner is cold. Of course, it was perfectly plain that she was trying to get rid of me. Well, I had no objection. That pistol had scared me badly. I didn't want to be mixed up in a scandal. So I took my hat and cleared out. But once on the street, my courage came back, and also my curiosity. I wanted to know more about that strange woman. I bought the theater tickets and hurried back. I opened the door of room B. You know what I saw. She sat there dead, with the pistol by her side. She had committed suicide. I rushed out with the intention of calling for help but fear overcame me. I looked around into the hall. This man Gaspar was at the desk. I dared not summon him. I turned and ran. Hammond ceased, and a sigh ran around the room. Nick could read relief in all the faces. The mystery was solved. The innocent man was no longer to suffer under unjust suspicion. That was what could be seen in the faces. Hammond's words had the ring of truth. Neither the superintendent, nor Nick, nor any other person there doubted a single statement of his story. When Gaspar identified me as the man in room A, Hammond continued, I thought I saw a chance to save Mr. Jones very easily, and so I told a falsehood. It was a foolish thing to do, said Nick. The truth is always best. If we had known at the outset what we know now, Mr. Jones might have been spared a great deal of trouble. "'Since the woman committed suicide—' "'Hold on!' cried the superintendent. "'How do you account for the murder of Corbett?' "'He must have found the body and robbed it. "'Probably he took some money and a diamond ring. "'There was the mark of a ring on her finger, but the ring was gone. "'Corbett fled with these things. "'He engaged Harrigan's cab. "'He was decoyed to that flat by some woman, probably, "'who knew that nobody was in it and was there murdered. Of course, neither Mr. nor Mrs. Jones had anything to do with it. Now, if Mr. Jones would only explain how he happened to be at that restaurant, the case would be clear. We know positively that he was there. A great light of hope had shown in Jones's face while Hammond was telling his story, and when Nick added his explanation of Corbett's death, the prisoner nearly laughed for joy. "'It's true, I was there,' he said. "'My wife and I dined in room A, and—' "'Fool!' exclaimed the woman in a terrible voice. "'Don't you see that this is a trap?' 
In her wild excitement, she covered Jones's mouth with her hand to prevent his speaking further. "'That is true,' said Nick. "'It was a trap, and the wretch has fallen into it. "'Jones, you have put the halter around your neck.' "'No, it is a lie!' exclaimed Jones, freeing himself from the woman's grasp. "'I tell you that I was in room A. "'The crime, if there was a crime, was committed in room B.' "'No, it wasn't,' said Nick. "'It was committed in room A.'" End of section 9 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen Gilbert, Arizona